I know a lot of parents dread it, but it's so important to sit down with your children and have a separation talk. This is a very practical episode. It could be considered a list of do's and don'ts based on my guest's deep knowledge of children and adolescent development. You hear my guest, Dr. Rachel Sharman, PhD, talk about why this conversation is so necessary, what all children need to hear, as well as information that's appropriate at different ages, some suggested answers to questions your children may ask, to be aware there's a range of reactions from children, and to be alert to push back, particularly from teenagers. The importance of checking in with your children after the talk, more than once, to make sure they've absorbed what you told them how you can support children in the days immediately after the talk and in the longer term, and so many other suggestions. I know a lot of you are seeking a higher quality of life, and I don't know anyone who wants the quality of their life to get worse, but that can happen when you're stuck in a rocky relationship or going through a difficult separation and divorce. My name's Liz Rankin, and I've created the Separation Fix with the intention of turning away from that mess and in the direction of a brighter future. I hope you find this episode interesting, and thanks for listening. Now, let me introduce you to my guest. Dr. Rachel Sharman is a senior lecturer and researcher in psychology at the University of the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, which, despite its name, has study locations in other parts of Australia, including Melbourne and Sydney. Her research has focused on the development of the pediatric brain, as well as many aspects of child and adolescent development, including autism, ADHD, depression, and childhood trauma. And she also has a separate body of wisdom to tap into because she's the mother of five children. Dr. Sherman also helps the wider community by sharing her knowledge through the media, including in print and online, on television and on the radio. And if you do an online search on Dr. Rachel Sherman, your mind might spin reading about all she knows and does. So, Dr. Sharman, is there anything you'd like to add to my introduction today? I think that was very kind. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) When I originally wrote your introduction, it was about five minutes long because you've really really got quite a career. (laughs) Okay, then before we begin um, our conversation, um, both Dr. Sharman and I want to make it really clear we're talking about parents who are having a relatively amicable separation. That is, today... We're not talking about high conflict separations. And I also want to say that Dr. Sharman and I know there is no perfect separation talk. Just as we know, there is no such thing as perfect parenting. But with Dr. Sharman's help, you're going to be able to aim high. (laughs) It's like, you know, it reminds me of, you know, when you have your first baby and you go and buy all those baby books and you're like, wow, I'm going to do this and that. And (laughs) (laughs) And you find out that the baby, unfortunately, has not read those books. (laughs) But you stumble, you pick yourself up again, don't you, you know? (laughs) And I guess that's a bit like this conversation. So we're going to aim high and we're going to do the best we can in our separation as well as, you know, throughout parenting. Okay, given those caveats, uh, Rachel, can we begin with your explanation of why it's so important for parents to take the time to have the separation talk with their kids. 
Yeah, so look, kids are going to be surprisingly well-educated in some ways and experienced in separation. Uh, most children will have uh, experienced uh, vicarious separation, either their school friends or friends you know, from sporting or even other family members. So they're going to have probably a whole pile of you know, maybe wrong ideas, maybe ideas that are not going to be pertinent to your situation. Um, there's going to be some horror stories there. There absolutely are. And so it's really important that we sit down with the kids and explain to them precisely what's going to happen so we don't increase the anxiety that's already going to be there about the separation. So it's about dispelling misinformation as well as providing them accurate information. Absolutely. So, you know, kids are going to have a lot of very valid questions. Where am I going to live? Am I still going to go to school? Will this, you know, where, where's the dog going to live? Uh, that sort of stuff. It's going to be very important for children. And they're also going to have a whole lot of schemas and ideas about what separation is and what it means uh, according to their vicarious experience through others. Okay, then. So, if it's a relatively amicable separation, it seems like to be the case that it's best for both parents to sit down and tell the children together. Why is that, Rachel? Well, it's just so the, the children can ask each parent questions that might be pertinent to each parent. So it just depends, you know, on dad and mum's work schedule, on where they're planning to live. So the child can actually, you know, get all of their questions answered at once because there might be some questions that mum can't answer for dad and vice versa. So we want to get all of that out of the way as quickly as possible. It's interesting because when I thought about it, I was only sort of focused on this whole concept of um, we're unified, we're still your parents. I hadn't thought of actually each child wanting to turn to each parent to ask those specific questions. So that's yeah, really look, it's, it, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you are unified as co-parents, but actually you are breaking the union. Let's be honest about this. You're breaking the union and you're breaking up the family. And children are going to give you some stick for this, particularly older children. They may be angry and they may want to ask a lot of, you know, possibly personal and impertinent questions about why the marriage is breaking up in the first place. So it's not such it's not such an issue about presenting a united front because let's be honest, you, you no longer are necessarily going to be a united front on every single issue. It's about um, gently allowing the child to understand what their new reality and what their new family structure is going to look like. Okay, and that's interesting. So would you say then in terms of messages, maybe so much um, two important messages, not so much they're unified, but one, you are continuing to be parents, that's not changing, and two, that you love them. Those Absolutely. And that's, the, you know, that's all you can really guarantee at this point because you don't know how the other parent's going to behave. So, you you know, you, you actually don't have a crystal ball. So, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. All you can do is say, I am still your parent. I still love you. I want the best for you. Let's see how we can move forward with this. And what do you think about this issue um, about the reason. What do you think that parents, this is going to be age dependent. I'd be interested in hearing your input due to your expertise, but what do you think about the reason for the separation? Okay, with younger kids, I wouldn't even bother. And by that, I mean, say, under certainly under the age of five, but even mm -hmm. under the age of eight to 10, they're not even really going to understand, the real young ones won't even understand that you're necessarily married, which <laughs> which sounds odd. <laughs> they don't really understand what a marriage is. Um, so you don't really need to go into reasons. All you need to explain to them is that mummy and daddy are no longer living together and they're, no, they're not going to live together anymore and you're going to be in separate houses. So you can keep it really short and sweet with younger children and they're not 
likely to ask you terribly difficult questions. Your older kiddies and especially your teenagers, it just depends. The teenagers might be completely blindsided by this. So they tend to fall into two groups, completely blindsided. They have no idea that this was coming because you've kept your arguments behind closed doors. Alternatively, they might have actually sort of been picking up on what was going on and have they, they might have their own opinion on who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, or whether or not you should be separating at all. And, you know, you might find yourself kind of defending that in some ways. I think um, it's interesting about the separation talk because it really does touch, it's kind of the beginning of the journey for the whole family, but it does really touch upon so many aspects of this transition. And I think really importantly, something you have to accept in separation, which is really hard, is the lack of control. You know, um, you know, you really, in the end, the most, I think one of the most important things for people in separation is to realize you only actually can control yourself. Correct. That is so true. And and look, people will be surprised sometimes how their children behave, how their ex-spouse behaves. They can be quite shocked at some of the fallout that occurs that they just they just didn't expect at all. And look, I'll just pick up on that from the point of view of the child as well, because the emotion fear is actually underpinned by two things. First of all, uncontrollability. So something that we can't control, we fear, and unpredictability. So think about what a separation is. It actually it actually imports both of those um, characteristics. It's uncontrollable for the child and it's unpredictable for the child. So it's very, very fear-provoking. And I think um, for the parents who have, you know, who have had a lot of time to think about, especially for the person who is the instigator, they have gone through those emotions. And now um, the little people are really going to have to catch up on that fear. Absolutely. So the parents have processed all that by the time they come to the table with the kids. And now it's the kids who will have to go through all of those sorts of feelings. So while you said, uh, backtracking a bit, while you said there's no reason, especially for the little ones, to give a specific reason, um, aren't they going to ask, how do you... Um, look, it depends. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, don't be surprised either way, I suppose. Look, what I would say, if a child does ask, is be very careful not involving children in adult conversations. So, if there's been things going on like infidelity or poor financial management um, or, you know, just other sorts of difficulties in relationships, I think for older children, you just need to keep it, you know, fairly closed down and say, look, we just haven't been able to get on um, as, as friends and as partners for a long time. This does happen. Friends grow apart. You can even actually use an example for older kids to say, you know, remember Sally who used to be your best friend in grade one, but by grade eight, you know, you'd grown apart. You had different interests. You had different sorts of um, uh, the sort of endeavours that you were going after and you just weren't able to maintain that friendship. The same sorts of things can happen for adults. Be very careful to not involve the kids in you know, demonising one parent. This terrible parent did these terrible things and now we're separating. That can be tricky if it's been really obvious. Um, so, you know, hey, let's face it, sometimes some parents do pretty shoddy things and it's really obvious. Everyone knows about it. So, that's, uh, you know, there's not much you can do about that if the cat's out of the bag. But I would suggest to people not to let the cat out of the bag if it doesn't need to need to happen. And unfortunately, another part of, you know, an ideal separation is it's a bit like parenting. There's a lot of sacrifice involved in high, I had to say high quality parenting, but you know, like yep. when you're aiming right. high, I mean, it starts off with sleep. I mean, it starts off for the women, it's the pregnancy and the, and then it's, you know, for the family sleeplessness, you know, with the baby coming. And I do think that 
um, it does a, a good separation does require a bit of sacrifice, and that I suppose is biting your tongue about a very hurtful reason for the separation. If if you can, I mean, we're not perfect. No. But just trying to, um, you know, to think about, you know, as you're saying, um, to keep the children out of it if possible. Um, now. One thing, um, because of your work, you you know, you work with from pediatric to, you know, a- adolescents, how do you pitch this conversation? Say you have, I don't know, a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, they're different children of different ages. How do you pitch it? Look, I think with, with the younger ones, as I said, you just need to sit them down and say, look, mummy and daddy are going to be living in separate houses for, from, you know, from now on and give them lots of reassurance that not too much will change for them so they can keep all of their toys and teddies and and take them across to each house, be clear about what the schedule's going to be. So be uh, forearmed with this conversation. Don't just go in there sort of going, oh, we're separating, we're not sure what's going to happen. That that will be disastrous. (laughs) So you really need to come in with an actual plan and a schedule that you've worked out, hopefully through mediation or or if you've been able to on your own. Um, So be very clear about the practicalities and the logistics because that's all that little kids are, are really going to you know, uh, worry about, you know, where's the dog living and am I still going to kindy and do I still play soccer on a Wednesday afternoon? They're going to be very, very practically focused and they're not, they're just not going to, they're unlikely to ask difficult questions about your relationship and things like that. Um, with the older children, same sort of thing. They will still be they will still be focused on the logistics and the practicalities. But as I say, the teenagers in particular, they might have their own very strong opinions. And and you said before about sacrifice. Um, you might have worked out this wonderful schedule that you and your partner or ex partner have agreed on, and the teenager sits there and goes, "No, nope, not doing it. I'm I'm not moving between two houses, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that." And you know, you can go and shove it. And parents do have to well, probably find themselves sacrificing maybe some time and some ideas they had about how they were going to manage that older child between them. Yes, it's like any welfare conversation. You play both sides in your head, but when it happens, it can just be so different. And once again, I said it's like this uncontrolled aspect of separation. Um, there's a lot of different people, you know, a lot of different needs that are going Absolutely. Into that. So in that situation, I guess you would pitch at the younger one and if an older one, you might take them aside if they had more deep questions or adult type questions. Not just questions. I think also be prepared for strong opinions. So, look, some kids may be fine and they be, might, might be quite happy to go with the flow, but you know your teenager better than anyone else. Are they a little bit, you know, are they headstrong? Are they a bit stubborn? Do they have their own firm opinions about things? Um, so if that's the case, uh, expect to see that maybe they won't agree with any of your wonderful plans. They may not even agree with a court order. Plenty of teenagers have thumbed their noses at court orders and I've yet to see a judge run around after them to telling them that they have to comply. Ultimately, you know, a much older child will basically behave independently and you just have to expect that that might be the case. Well, at a future time, I'm going to do an interview about the subject of best wishes and where that fits into um, the family law legislation because it is interesting and really important for the elder age children because best wishes and the weight given to elder children is highly relevant um, in in these situations. But I think something you touched upon earlier is that ideally it is really great if you can sit down and it's going to depend upon the circumstances separate if you can sit down and plot a, a loose plan with the other parent. But also, I think it's a really important time really early on that if you can't work it out either through emails, it actually is a great time to go to a family therapist or a mediation just for this initial stage and get you in that process of having input from professionals. 
Look, absolutely. And I, I believe you could, you would know this more than me, but I believe Relationships Australia offer a mediation service for precisely this purpose with, with a very reasonable sort of sliding scale of fees. So I think absolutely, if, if you're not able to come together and, and formulate a plan that you can coherently sit down at the table and talk to your kiddies about, go and get that sorted out via mediation first before you approach the children. And the thing about, you know, Relationship Australia and all the family relationship centres and private mediator is that all their agreements, they can be different types. They can just be a very short agreement. They can help you plot out a plan that is just for this conversation or for the next few months or final, final plan. So as I said, I think it's great to get in that headset of using, the, you know, these resources that are available because these professionals have done it hundreds, literally thousands of times, whereas for most people, this is their first their first yes. experience of having to tell their children they're separating. So just in relation to practical matters that you've turned upon, um, I think so you've, already, sorry, you've already mentioned quite a few aspects of that. I'm interested in something that's happening more and more is people living under the same roof. Oh, um, yes. You know, it, you know, I've heard of it. <laughs> it's not, I'm intrigued myself. <laughs> look, it's obviously not ideal, but sometimes it's just a matter of economics, isn't it? And um, in that situation, I'm, I'm wondering, I think it's important that even though the outside world may not know you're separated because everybody's still in the same house, I think that it would be very important that situation to still explain that you're separated to the children. What are your thoughts on that, Rachel? Yes, look, it will, because invariably someone's going to start dating someone else. And let me tell you, those children will find out. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but they've got radars and <laughs> all sorts of things. And they're going to notice the um, the difference in interaction between mum and dad. So I think it's very foolish to try and keep that under wraps. I think you should be upfront with the children um, that you are living in separate, uh, well, sort of separate parts of the house. Sometimes that happens. I've heard of the sort of the upstairs, downstairs arrangement and that kind of thing. I've also heard of the arrangement and this is probably only uh, available to very wealthy couples, but where the children sort of stay in the house and then mum and dad come and to that house week on, week off and presumably have a flat or a unit off site. But I would think for a lot of people that's economically not particularly viable. But in many ways, that's probably the, the ultimate solution. So the kids remain in the one house and, and the one sort of um, environment that, that remains extremely consistent. But yes, look, where, you've, where you have to stay together physically and geographically Yes, you should definitely explain to the children that you you are separating and that this perhaps is a temporary thing until you can actually afford to move out in your own property. Just um, alluding to what you mentioned there about that nesting arrangement, I think that even for families who aren't very wealthy, that sometimes in the early stages, that sometimes happens, maybe even moving between the grandparents' house, you know, or a friend's house. But I do, I definitely agree that any kind of long-term arrangement, that's obviously for people who ha have uh, greater, greater resources to sustain that. What about, um, what about situations where, and I think something else that can happen, especially I think with the older children is that, you know, you and your spouse have have sat down and had, and it wouldn't be easy, it's not easy, having a difficult conversation of how you're going to tell the kids and you've agreed upon it, but a very um, emotionally intelligent teen or has picked up on it just says to you, are you two separating? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there you are mixing, you know, at the kitchen sink or whatever going, oh yeah, okay, we, we yeah, we are. And so you've broken your, there you are, the very beginning of your separation yeah. and have actually broken your first agreement with the other yeah. parent. Um, not ideal. What would you suggest if you get caught um, unaware like that? What Don't would you lie. Suggest? 
Don't lie. Tell them the truth. Yeah, look, you're right. You've been caught. Um, <laughs> you're just going to have to come clean with, I suppose, the limited information that you can, uh, you know, in terms of being respectful to your, your ex, you know, soon-to-be ex-spouse if they're not there to, you know, also talk to the teenager. If you're there together, well, I bet you're just going to have to recover from the shock quickly and, <laughs> and kind of try and do the talk. But if it's just one of you, um, you you're just going to have to sort of perhaps suggest that, look, we, we are going to talk to you about this in more detail, but we're still working stuff out with the mediator and, and things like that. I know that sounds, you know, simple, but of course it's not because the teenager is not going to let it go. Let's face it, they're going to pepper you with questions uh, nine times out of 10. But yes, don't lie. If, if you lie at that point, it will set up a, a, a sense of distrust that, you know, when you do come clean and actually tell, start telling them the truth, they won't know what to believe. And I think um, for any um, listeners, my Australian listeners, there's a great episode on Jenny Brocky's um, show, Insight. It is a few years ago, but it is about, it's all interviews with children about the divorce experience. And in that show, they have lots of examples, children um, telling their examples of separation. And some of those talks went so awry. And I actually think it, it's... Um, it's difficult to watch parts of it, but I think it's really informative because they, children give examples of these talks and when it's been done properly and when it's been done really badly and unintentionally badly sometimes or when people don't give it any thought. So those are just like practical examples from, from children. I think it's really interesting to hear those. Now, obviously, I think the actually most important part of this conversation is how to deal with our children's emotional response and what are likely to be the common response. You've mentioned a couple of those earlier, Rachel. Would you just elaborate a bit about that? You are going to get the full spectrum. Um, you're going to get kids who go, eh, <laughs> whatever. Can I go back to my Xbox, please? Um, right up to storming out of the house and, and throwing a complete fit. So you, are, this is where the unpredictability comes in. Uh, good luck is all I can say. You are going to absolutely potentially get the full spectrum of responses. Some that will be somewhat predictable. You go, oh, yes, I knew she was going to overreact or she, you know, flame out or what have you. But others, you'll be quite surprised. So um, there's no easy answer to this. It probably for the older kids depends on whether or not they've picked up on something and realised something is going on. So when you finally tell them, they go, yeah, yeah, well, no kidding. I mean, you know, we knew this was coming um, versus the ones who are blindsided. Uh, and the younger kids, you know, they're funny, the younger kids. They can they can really be quite sort of nonchalant in the in the original sort of, oh, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, you're moving. Yeah, right. Oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, and it's not really until mummy and daddy start disappearing for days on end that the separation anxiety hits. That's when they get quite distressed. So the actual separation talk is usually not the, the trigger for younger children. It's when mum and dad actually do start physically disappearing for several days at a time. So obviously then some notice is important. Um, it is, but you know, um, you're a young kid, let's say you're only four, five, you don't know how you're going to feel when mum disappears for five days. You just don't. Um, it's it's tough. And, and all parents can really do in that situation is say, look, you can, you can Skype mum or ring her at any time. All your favourite toys are going to be here. Bobby the dog's going to be here, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, it will hit some kids much harder than you expect. And also, I suppose, even despite your best planning, I mean, if I said to a three-year-old, you know, mummy and daddy aren't going to be living anymore, and it starts in two weeks, they're not going to have any concept of that. So even if you try and give them notice of it, it'd be quite difficult for the younger ones. 
It really is. Um, young people's concept of time, young children's concept of time is, is not the same as older children or adults at all. So it's, it's very warped, you know, from, from our perspective at least. So uh, to them, just a couple of days feels like an absolute eternity. Right. So people just, to a certain extent, parents are just going to have to know their child best and work out how far ahead of the changes they should tell their children. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what about afterwards? So you've had this difficult conversation with your children, everybody there sitting on the sofa with a big box of tissues, maybe, Um, (laughs) probably. Um, What, what can you do after? Do do you have any suggestions or what you plan? Probably, um, yeah. Look, consistency is really consistency is really important. So, look, if you can keep the kid in the same school, the same environment, you know, similar sorts of housing arrangements, all of their stuff, you know, all of their important stuff can come between the two houses. That's really, really important if that's possible. I understand it's not always possible, but that's it, that's so important. So they're near their friends, they're near their sporting clubs, they're near if there's family around, there's they're near extended family. So that's great. Um, the other prop thing is probably, this is a bit negative, but it's more a series of don'ts. I think parents also have to manage their own emotions. And I mean, separation and divorce is really difficult. People get very, very emotional. And sometimes they can go and do some very odd things. You know, they might sort of start drinking too much, or they might start looking for a rebound partner to kind of, you know, take the edge off. You really need to limit uh, children's exposure to that kind of behavior. Understand your emotions are going to be up and down like a toilet seat. And you really don't want your children to be exposed to that. They're, they're going to end up with a poor view of you if you sort of involve them in that kind of stuff. So, um, a couple of things that psychologists often recommend in this area is you need to give kids at least one year to settle into their new family structure and you need to keep changes at an absolute minimum for a full year. So, hopefully same schools, same sporting clubs, no new boyfriends, girlfriends, any of that sort of thing. If you're doing any of that, keep it well away from them so they know nothing about it, no introduction into you know anyone else in their life. After a year or two, if kids have settled down, then you can start potentially introducing them to the idea that you may be going out or dating or, or having, you know, um, partners and that kind of thing. But be very, very careful and be very judicious. Don't start introducing or bringing in changes to a child's life that are radical. And I mean, even kids who see their parents, you know, dressing differently or different hairstyles. I mean, I know this sounds really silly, but for a child, that's actually quite sort of, you know, they, they kind of freak out a little bit. They don't know what's going on and they don't know what happened to their old mother or father. So, try and keep that stuff as best you can to a bit of a minimum. Right. Okay. I want to circle back to something that's come up a lot in my reading um, for our conversation today. And it did surprise me a little bit, but because of your um, expertise in development, um, why is it that so many children seem to blame themselves for the separation? I always find that quite, I find that quite odd. Yeah, so this is going to be your primary school and below. So typically, once they hit adolescence, that sort of thing won't happen, hopefully. Um, but yes, yeah, so from about, let's say, five to 13, it's really common that kids blame themselves. So children are very egocentric. That's how we, that's, you know, the fancy word for it. Um, they actually think that the world completely revolves around them. This will not come as a shock to some parents. <laughs> I've been looking for a word for that. Yes, they really do. They believe that they have so much more influence on stuff than they actually do. They don't actually 
truly understand that there are things that happen that are completely apart from them, and particularly um, when it comes to their family, because this is their this is their whole foundation of understanding themselves and the world they live in. And people have forgotten that. You know, this is why people, I think, underestimate how sort of shattering uh, a, a separation is, because you are breaking up the whole way that a child views themselves and views the world. You are absolutely the foundation of their being. So it's very common for children to think, oh my goodness, I had that fight with dad about the homework last week. Oh, that's why he's leaving. Or mum's been at me for weeks to clean up my room and I haven't done it. And I've noticed she's been upset. So they kind of make these correlation equals cause errors and they do it all the time. It's really, really common in childhood. It's It, it doesn't mean your child is you know um, backwards or anything like that. In fact, they're perfectly normal. So yes, you do need to keep an eye out for that and be careful that children understand that this is not their fault. Do you think you need to explicitly say that in the talk as well as this is, you know, as well as I love you, it's, this is not your fault. This is not, this is not, this is an adult. That's just an. I would. Yes. Personally, I would. I think it's not a bad idea. A lot of children will internalize that and not bring it up and just, just, they'll just sort of sit there and ruminate. Uh, other kids will say, oh, is this because, I, you know, I'll do this better and I'll, I'll go to soccer practice every, and they'll try and bargain with parents. I mean, so that's an obvious, you know, if they're trying to bargain with you about their behavior, then you know that they think this is something to do with them. But even the kids who just sit there quietly, I would, I would probably mention that. Yes. Okay, that's really that's really helpful, and you cleared that up for me a bit there. <laughs> now, um, I just wanted to add a couple of things, and after I said them, I love your import um, to them. The first thing I believe is really important is this: actually, just the first conversation about separation, and parents are going to want to check in with their children to find out how they're doing, what they're worried about, and how you can support them. Do you have anything to add with these ongoing conversations? Would you think that's important? No, I think exactly what you've said. You just need to check in, um, make sure all their questions are being answered. Do they have any questions about what's going to happen? Do they understand that, you know, daddy's moving out on Sunday and Bill's going to help him? And, you know, just, just really practical things like that. Keep it really practical with, with um, kids of all ages. Uh, and, yeah, absolutely, every sort of few days, just check up that everything's going okay. And, you know, it's, there's going to be some interesting fallout. They're going to go to school and tell their friends. And so they might want to have a conversation about how their friends responded and what their friends had to say or their teacher, uh, things like that. So these are the sorts of things that would be good for you to stay plugged in about and, and keep that conversation open. Well, it's interesting about emotional reactions because also some children are ashamed and are embarrassed and those children don't want, it, don't want anybody to know. So it's all these different types, the range of reactions. Mm -hmm. That is true, yes. And the last point I want to make, and I, we touched upon this earlier, is that the conversation may go pear-shaped. It's just like any other part of parenting. You have your intentions. Um, and I think it's really important for parents to realize that if the conversation goes pear-shaped, they can sit down and have another go and add the explanations. I mean, as soon as possible afterwards. But if it doesn't go well, even you know, an hour later, say, go back to the children and, and try again. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would, because people, the children and adults, when they hear information that's a bit of a shock, they actually need time to process that. And they might not actually process all of the information that they've heard. So you might have even told them something quite clearly, but they're still reeling in shock. And so they're still, they just still can't believe what's happening. And they're still trying to, oh my goodness, what? Um, and everything you say after that is just kind of blah, blah, blah. 
and they haven't necessarily uh, taken on board or processed everything you've tried to tell them. So I think it's a really good idea, whether it's an hour later or a day later, hey, did you understand what we were talking about last night? Did you have any questions? Do you, you, you know, do you understand what's going to happen in the next week or two? And actually just check in that they really did hear everything you had to tell them the first time. So you're saying they're so flooded emotionally that they shut down cognitively. Absolutely. Uh, and all humans do that. All humans, yeah. when they're in shock, shut down cognitively. And so the information just doesn't get in. Yeah. That's also applies to a lot of the, the parents as well. And I'll get onto that in another episode because that obviously affects your reactivity and, and makes separation even worse than it has to be. But I think it's important that this conversation, uh, the separation talk, is that it's not, it's a difficult talk. But it's important to talk and it's an important talk and it's just a stage and things, I just want to reassure parents that things will get better. But by having this talk, I think you'll feel better about yourself as a parent that you're going through a difficult time. Um, you're trying to do the best to support your family. And this is just one um, block or, or one piece of this new picture. So just to, just to reassure parents that it's not difficult. It is, sorry, it's difficult, but it's worth it, this conversation. It is absolutely a necessity. It is a true necessity, this conversation. So if you just leave kids to try and figure out themselves what's going on, they'll never forgive you for that. So you really, yeah, as hard as it is, you will have to get up. You'll have to step up to the plate and have the conversation and do your best to, you know, hold yourself together during that time, answer questions, keep checking in, keep keep them front and center for the first few days, even though that's really hard because you've got your own emotions and your own difficulty that you're trying to deal with. But try and keep those kids front and center so they have time to grieve their old family, the loss of their old family unit and start to understand that there will be a new one that's being formed. Because this is just the first step in the right direction. Well, in conclusion, um, my listeners, if you have any questions or concerns about your gorgeous children or you need support, because as Rachel is saying, this is a really difficult time for the parents as well, you could consult your GP or you can contact one of the support services available. For example, in our area, that could be the Family Relationships Advice Line or the Kids Helpline, which helps young children between 5 and, and, and 25, and all that information is available online. Dr. Sharman, I'm so grateful you were able to speak to me today. And on my behalf, and on behalf of my listeners, I really want to thank you. Thank you very much. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. And if something in the episode has motivated you, I recommend that before you take any action, you get professional advice because the conversations are general in nature and not based on your particular situation. Please reach out to me if you have any questions or if there's another topic you'd like explored. And if you know someone who might benefit from the show, remember to tell them about it or suggest my Instagram or website, www.theseparationfix.com. Good luck being your best self today. Just know I'm out there too, trying as well. <laughs>